that quote in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus doesn't say there's a broad road that leads to hell and a narrow road that leads to heaven. He said there's a broad road that leads to destruction yeah. and a narrow road that leads to life, or mm. we might say survival. And when you face, for example, we live in a world of nuclear weapons. Uh, guess what? It's a broad road. It's very easy to go down the road that leads to nuclear self-destruction. It's a broad road that leads to racial civil war. It's a broad road that leads to having so many weapons in so many people's hands that the world becomes, you know, just a total chaos. It's a broad road that leads to environmental destruction when you're, uh, you know, when you're, Freshwater resources are gone, and when your salt water is so polluted that the fish are all exploited, and when the soils are 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 robbed of their nutrients, and when famine spreads, it's a broad road. It's easy to destroy life. I know that there's something so special about you and me, babe. You got me, you got me, you got me feeling fine. So just say the words, cause you know what it means to me, babe. When you get me, you get me, you get me feeling right. Your eyes, your eyes hypnotize me, baby. Oh, your eyes, oh, your eyes. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 115. And it's part number two of our series, To Hell with Hell. Uh, last week, we kicked it off by talking to the one and the only N.T. Wright. And uh, what, a w- what a way to kick off the series. Uh, N.T. Wright is someone who I have, I have a lot of his books. I've read a lot of his stuff. Uh, he has shaped much of my thoughts about the Bible uh, in particular, the background and context of it all. So that was a really fun conversation. Uh, today, we're sitting down with Brian McLaren. And uh, Brian was on the show in the first year of the podcast. And now he's coming back. And I want to say that in between that first time he was on and now, uh, he's one of those guys who I've been able to stay in touch with and who has really become a friend to me, someone who. Um, I've reached out to a couple of times uh, regarding some personal issues and questions, and he's always been willing to hop on the phone and talk to me and uh, just really be be a friend and be kind of a, a mentoring voice in my life. So very thankful for him. And today we sit down and we obviously talk about uh, hell and some of his thoughts regarding hell. So I look forward to that. As I mentioned last week, uh, this whole series is being sponsored by uh, my friends over at BeADisciple.com. So what is BeADisciple.com? Well, here at the What If Project, we, we don't shy away from the, the <laughs> we don't shy away from the tough questions, right? I mean, like we're doing a whole series right now, eight episodes on hell, because if we're going to kick the hornet's nest, we might as well kick it hard, right? Because this is one of those topics in the church that can often lead to uh, some of the most heated and sharpest debates. And we talk about LGBTQ inclusion. We talk about salvation, the cross, the atonement, racial reconciliation. We talk about like all the things. And I think it's important, right? Because I think that that questions, when we ask questions, I think that's a sign of, of growth. Like it's super easy to just plant ourselves in the ground, plant ourselves in our ideas and declare like, hey, I'm never going to budge from this. This is what I believe. I'm holding on to this truth no matter what 
comes my way, right? But I don't think that's like a symbol of like mature, mature faith. I think that maturity comes when we embrace questions, we explore doubts, and we recognize that, hey, there's more to know, whether it's in another person, another voice, another tradition, whatever, there's always more to know. And that's why I love uh, BeDisciple.com. They're, they're like a social hub of sorts for all of your your spiritual quandaries, all of your questions. And they're just a click away at uh, BeDisciple.com. So head over there, uh, scroll through some of their classes. They're affordable, uh, they're ecumenical, they're accredited, and they're all short-term, 100% online. So during these COVID days, you don't have to worry about going anywhere. You just sit in the comfort of your home, and it's all online. And all the stuff is taught by uh, experts in their field. Like they don't just, you know, go pick random people off the internet and have them come and teach these classes, but rather their classes taught by professionals in that field. And uh, the classes take place in the company of others where you're safe to discuss your questions, your doubts, and and all those things. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, uh, head over to BeDisciple.com, uh, scroll through their courses, enroll, send them an email, ask some questions. Uh, really good people over there that I've been able to uh, get to know a little bit. Secondly, there's a newsletter. Have you signed up for the What If Project newsletter? It's called the What If Project After Party because it's a Friday party, Friday morning, Friday morning party, uh, where I look back over that week's episode and I give you kind of a behind the, the scenes look. You know, what was going on in my head while I was talking to this person? Uh, why did I ask the questions I asked? Was I nervous? Was I not nervous? Um, maybe some thoughts about their book, if they have a book that they wrote. Uh, maybe some thoughts about what challenged me, maybe something that they said that I didn't agree with, maybe something that I do agree with, maybe something that they said that I used to agree with, but I don't agree with anymore. So kind of a look inside of my brain into what this newsletter is. And uh, I just kind of talk about what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking about the episode. So uh, I'll put the link to that in the show notes, but head over there, uh, click it, sign up, and you will get an email from me uh, every Friday morning is the plan right now. Uh, so I will do my best to get out every Friday morning, uh, the What If Project after party. Thirdly, Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject is a place where you can go to support the show financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, please consider uh, sponsoring it, or I should say giving to the show financially, anywhere from $3 a month all the way up to $20 a month. And there's different tiers in between, and every tier gets its own reward. Uh, the Heretic Shop. It's a place to buy t-shirts, hats, hoodies, stickers, backpacks, all different sorts of heretical goodies. So head over there, uh, check that out. The link to that will be in the show notes as well. And lastly, but certainly not least, uh, especially music today is from my friend DJ KDOT. Uh, DJ KDOT and I, as I've mentioned in the past, we work together at the Apple Store. And uh, she's one of the most encouraging people I know. A real artist, uh, really has mastered her craft, takes it very seriously pours her all into it and pours it all her all into people around her as well. Always there for me with an encouraging and uplifting word. So I uh, head over to Apple Music, Spotify, all the places, download the music, share the music, tell your friends about the music and blast the music from your speakers. All of that to say, once again, this is episode number 115 and it's my conversation with Brian McLaren. Enjoy.
Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're joined by repeat guest, one of my favorite human beings, uh, the one and only Brian McLaren. So Brian, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's always an honor. Well, it's nice to be introduced that way. <laughs> Great to be with you. And and seriously, thanks for the good work you do with your podcast. You and so many other really great po- podcasters are providing a really important service. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. And you have been a huge inspiration to me. So I will return the thanks. <laughs> so uh, I guess I'll ask, I guess we'll start off with what have you been up to since the last time we talked to you, Ron, about a little over a year ago. So I know you have a new book coming out. I think you've released a book since then. So maybe catch us up. Sure. Well, I have, I, uh, I had a book that came out late last year called The Galapagos Islands, A Spiritual Journey. One of my favorite books I've ever had the chance to write. Mm. Gave me a chance to talk about things I'm passionate about. First, just the beauty of the natural world, but then to do some theological reflection on evolution and ecology and climate mm. change and and uh, I, I just had so much fun uh, writing it. And I, I hope it'll be useful to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm writing a book. I just finished a book called uh, Faith After Doubt. That will come out in January. Mm-hmm. And the way the publishing world works is uh, I've, I'm actually right now in the, early in the process of writing the book that will come out January 2022. And that's called Do I Stay Christian? Oh, wow. Wow. So you have one done and it's not yet out, but then you're already starting the new one. Yeah. Interesting how that works. So what is the the one that's coming out in January? Give us a quick blurb about that. Well, uh, I think a whole lot of people are really struggling with questions and doubt. They were given an inherited version of the faith that's not working for them anymore. Um, Sometimes it's, you know, this little belief or that little belief. And it's kind of like they try to unscrew this module out and put another one in. And, and, uh, and then sometimes people feel like just the whole thing doesn't make sense and it's falling yeah. apart. And um, I have been a person always prone to critical thinking and questioning. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I've always been someone who reads widely. And uh, so I got a lot of experience in, in this world. I've become convinced that uh, not only is doubt in, inevitable for many of us, mm. uh, it is actually incredibly important mm. uh, at a time like this when a whole lot of our assumptions are uh, deserve to be doubted. Yeah. And, uh, and if the Christian faith uh, is going to do a better job of uh, helping people moving forward, it, it's, going to be, uh, it's going to have to be a version of the Christian faith that has been tested and purified by doubt. Well, I think that's going to be much needed. I can't wait to get my hands on that. Yeah. Um, well, as a podcaster, you can probably get a hold of it maybe October or November. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a good transition into um, our talk because I brought you on today to uh, pick your brain a little bit about the topic of hell. And I know yes. it's not like really obviously the happiest topic in the world, but I feel like it's an important topic to address from many different angles, from many different voices, because in my experience and the experience of a lot of our listeners, it's one of those topics and, and doctrines that's done a lot of damage to people's hearts and to people's um, souls. Uh, growing up for me, like I was more or less taught that my mission in this life is to avoid hell in the afterlife and then help other people avoid hell as well and make sure that they believe all the right things about Jesus and God, because I apparently have the grasp on that. So they have to believe the same way that I do. And so I was wondering to kind of kick it off maybe if you could talk to us about what you were taught about hell growing up and how that understanding has evolved and shifted and changed to bring you to where you are uh, today. 
Well, the short answer on where I grew up, I grew up exactly in the same place as you. Yeah. There's this problem called original sin because Adam yeah. and Eve uh, uh, did something bad, uh, really, really, really bad, so much so that every one of their children should forever be destined for eternal conscious torment mm. uh, in, in hell. I, I remember hearing preachers who told us that hell was literal fire. Yeah. And uh, I was at a summer camp once where they built, put up a huge bonfire and the preacher told us, you think that's bad? Imagine if we threw you in there and never let you out and you could never die. And I just mm. remember being terrorized uh, by that. Yeah. I mean, I look back at that now and it just feels like child abuse to put eight year old children away from their parents in that kind of a setting. It does. Um, but it was standard and a lot of people, that's what they're being taught today, you know, at this very moment. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know what? I didn't, it didn't bother me in a sense that it's what all of the people I trusted told me. Um, I was shown how to pick Bible verses out that told me that that's what hell was about. And I was like, okay, that's just the way it is. Um, it wasn't until uh, I was a good bit older and two, I, two problems came up. The, the first problem was I thought, what does it say about God that this is the best that God could do? And I remember having this thought when I was a teenager, if I were God, I would never even create a universe that could turn out that badly mm -hmm. with a few people experiencing bliss forever and the vast majority experiencing something that horrible. Um, and, and so I just remember that maybe was one of my first doubts. I just mm -hmm. thought I could do better than that. And if I couldn't, I would never create the world. Yeah. Um, but then the second one came years later when I was a pastor. Oh, and I should say, uh, in, in, along the way, I came across, for example, C.S. Lewis. He had in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, he has a, a, one of the books is called The Last Battle. Hmm. And he had a, a slightly more, uh, you know, less brutal understanding of hell sure. and a slightly more charitable one. And so I immediately attached myself to that because I just felt that what I had inherited was too vicious. But when I was a pastor many years later, and I, I uh, you know, I, I'd been, I grew up with sermons where the preacher picks three or four or five Bible verses and strings them together. And that Me too. The sermon. <laughs> yep. Um, but when I became a preacher, I, I was introduced to what's called expository Bible preaching, where you'd mm -hmm. go through the whole book of Exodus or the whole book of Matthew or the whole book of Jonah or whatever it was. And when I started doing expository preaching, I found all of these verses in between the ones I'd memorized. <laughs> and, and that started making me see there's a lot more going on here. Like when you just pull 10 verses out of the book of Romans, you can make it say something very different than what it would say to you if you actually read the whole book of Romans. From right. Beginning to end. Yep. Yep. So I started reading the Bible in that way. And I'll tell you the real kicker. Like for some people, this is so obvious. You, you won't believe that I've been a pastor for <laughs> probably 10 years before I saw this, but here's what I saw that the Jewish people did not believe in heaven or hell. Mm. It, it's just not there. In mm. fact, in, in, it is, almost incontrovertible like you know it's hard to be 100 percent certain about anything in the past all the neighboring nations of the jews believed in an afterlife uh the egyptians were really into an afterlife the babylonians and the assyrians they all had their afterlife the jews showed very very little interest in afterlife uh it, now if you hmm. grew up in the king james bible you would see the word hell but more recent 
Bibles uh, don't use the word hell. They use the word Sheol, which translates the Hebrew word, the place of the dead, which mm. is not heaven and it's not hell. Mm. And when I realized, like, because of my Christian theology, I thought, well, when the Jews sacrificed animals, they were trying to pay for their sins so they wouldn't go to hell. Yeah. Nope, just not what was happening. Hmm. And when I saw that, I became curious, where did this idea of hell come from? And yeah. I actually wrote a book about it. Not too many people have read it. It's not my most popular <laughs> book, but it's called The Last Word and the Word After That. And it's hmm. a whole exploration on where the idea of hell came from. Hmm. So if it wasn't in the thinking then, maybe give us a quick synopsis of where, where did it come from? Because I know like even in the New Testament, like you see a lot of times words would be translated to hell, but those words are typically like Gehenna, which was a garbage yes. dump, correct? And Hades, which is similar to Sheol, but the Greek idea of the place of the dead. Is that correct? It's really striking when you think about it, isn't it? That yeah. Hades is borrowed from the Greeks hmm. um, and that and Sheol is a, a concept very similar to the Babylonian concept in many ways. Um, yeah, so here's the, the, the basic idea. Sometime between the last book, uh, the last verse of the last written book of the uh, Hebrew Bible, uh, you know, what, I mean, in terms of the pages of the book, it's mm -hmm. the last verse of Malachi. Uh, probably Daniel was, you know, maybe the last actual, uh, actually written. But between then and the time uh, of when Jesus shows up, uh, some people accept the idea of hell and other people don't. Mm. Um, so if we want to say that conservatives stick to traditional views and liberals accept new ideas, the Pharisees were the liberals and the Sadducees were the conservatives. The Sadducees stayed with the traditional view that there was no heaven and no hell. The Pharisees accepted a, uh, a, a new idea into Judaism. Now, um, uh, I, I can, you know, probably bore people with way more than this than, they, <laughs> than they'd ever want to know. But if I could just add two little levels of Please nuance do. to this. Yep. One possibility is that the Jews got this idea from Zoroastrianism because Zoroastrianism had far more, uh, a, a very, very uh, sophisticated understanding of a heaven and a hell. Hmm. And, uh, and, there is one theory that says that the word Pharisee comes from the word Parsi, which is connected to the word Farsi. And we know Farsi is the language of the Persians. That's where Parsi comes from, it meant the Persians. Mm -hmm. And the Persians were Zoro Zoroastrians. So one theory is that Pharisee comes from a Hebrew word, meaning the separated ones. And another theory is that it actually means these were the Jews who accepted, accepted some Persian or Zoroastrian ideas. Um, well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? That mm. some Jews accept these ideas. Um, you know, there was also something going on of Hellenization, where uh, from about 100 years before Jesus, uh, the many Jews were deeply influenced by Greek philosophy. And um, it turns out that Plato had a relatively sophisticated idea of an afterlife that involved a hell and heaven. It actually involved reincarnation, where through various uh, rebirths, you could go from uh, a hellish experience to a heavenly experience. Hmm. But, uh, uh, and, and that word Hades, you know, is uh, uh, obviously a Greek term. So all of these are factors, hmm. and some Jews accepted them, some didn't. Now, here's where it really becomes, well, there are two other maybe fact, factors I could throw in. Hmm. One is, 
that the Jews had a series of attempted revolts against their oppressors. And their first belief was that the righteous, that the righteous martyrs, the people who dared to go to battle and died in battle trying to liberate the Jewish people, that in the last day when the Jews were finally liberated, that they would be raised from the dead to be part of the celebration. So it was only the resurrection of the righteous martyrs. Mm. Over time, that, that expanded in some Jewish thinking to include any righteous people. And then the converse became accepted as well, that the evil would be punished. Mm. So there's a wide array of beliefs among the Jewish people. What really becomes interesting, though, and this, to, if there's one insight, you know, really important insight that I gained through the writing of that book, The Last Word and the Word After That, it was this. When you read Jesus' teaching about hell against that backdrop, you realize he's not reinforcing the Pharisees' ideas about hell. He's reversing them. Mm. And this is where Christians, I think, make a tragic mistake. We assume that Jesus is actually trying to make you believe uh, you know, in the story of, uh, of Lazarus, which is obviously a parable, Lazarus and the rich man, remember, right. where, yeah. uh, that, that, that Jesus wants us to imagine that people can go back and forth and send messages across heaven and hell, you know, all that sort of thing. But no, Jesus is telling these stories, telling these parables, using the popular understandings of hell to deconstruct the whole framework. I'm mm. absolutely convinced that's what he's doing. And we've missed that. And we have done exactly what we've basically done is reconstructed the universe of the Pharisees with a couple of minor adjustments. Yeah. feels like we've, we've reinforced almost like this wrong idea into our theologies and we've held on to it so tightly with like a, a knuckle grip like we don't want to we don't want to let it go and and it's just because we're trying to be good people yeah and remember that old song give me that old time religion it was good enough for my father is good enough for you know so we're just trying to be loyal to what we were taught yeah but there comes a point where you have to say what if my parents were mistaught by their parents and they were mistaught by their parents what if there's been a misunderstanding for a long time somebody has to have the courage to ask the question again. And that's what you're doing in this podcast. And that's what we need more and more people to do. Because one of the things we've also got to be honest about, Glenn, is that the idea, the traditional teaching of hell has been used by Christians to create immense suffering mm. for both Christians and non-Christians. Mm. Uh, let, me, let me say it this way. If you believe that a perfect God can eternally, consciously torture people in fire. In other words, you can torture people and burn people up and be perfect. Yeah. You can see how that becomes almost like a, a, a permission slip yes. for human beings to do the same thing. And, yeah. and if that were just theory, it would be bad enough. But there are so many examples of it through history. Yeah, I think it lets you keep that like revenge card in your back pocket. I don't it, really it. have to forgive everybody because God doesn't really either. And so I, I always have that to fall back on 
in my pocket. Not only that, but, you know, American religious history was deeply influenced by Calvinists. Even people who are not in Calvinist denominations don't realize how much American Christianity inherited a kind of Calvinism. Mm. And And traditional, there's a stream of Calvinism that teaches that before the universe began, God decided we're going to create some people who will go to heaven and we're going to create the vast majority of people who will suffer forever in hell. Some are elect or chosen, some are not. Well, guess what? If that's what you believe about God and you believe you're one of the chosen, then you can sail across a ship to another country and steal the lands of the people who are there because they're not the chosen and you are. And you can kill them and put them in concentration camps called reservations and you can march them for hundreds of miles in the trail of tears you can mm-hmm. treat them worse than you treat your own dog or cat uh, and you consider yourself a saved righteous born again godly sanctified person and then you can enslave people and you can beat them and rape them because guess what they're not really they're, they're the damned they're they're in a certain way they're subhuman mm-hmm. and if this were just theory it would be terrifying enough. But this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so that's why people get upset when you start questioning this <laughs> yeah. and, and they think you're just trying to conform to the world. No, we're trying to be decent people who take seriously what we've learned from Jesus and the Bible yes. Uh, yes. about goodness and, and honesty and evil. And, and we're trying to be morally responsible. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point about the importance of challenging stuff. I was actually reading this morning, and I just pulled up the quote in front of me, um, Kenneth Bailey's book, uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Yes. And he has this quote. He says, the more familiar we are with a biblical story, the more difficult it is to view it outside of the way it has always been understood. And yes. the longer the tradition remains unchallenged, the deeper it becomes embedded in Christian consciousness. And exactly I, feel like, right. I feel like hell is one of those topics that is so deeply inbred in our consciousness because it rarely has ever gone unchallenged. Really, I think recently a lot of voices have risen up to challenge it. But like when I was growing up, like you never dared question the, the topic of hell. So I think it just got so ingrained. I remember like when Rob Bell's book came out, Love Wins, and I read that book. I was like, holy moly, like there's another way to think about all this stuff, but it was like a mental wrestling match because I couldn't wrap my mind around how to view these things any other way than I have. But I think, like you said, it's so important that we look at some of these doctrines, whether it's that, whether it's uh, the atonement and different things like that, and really push against them to try to figure out, you know, is this really what our heritage has told us? Is this something that has come in from other sources? Like, what is this and what do we do with it? You know, I I was just telling somebody else earlier today, um, do you remember Dallas Willard? Yes, yeah. Um, So Dallas Willard is a well-known writer. He died a few years ago and a beautiful human being. And Dallas was a dear friend and mentor to me. And Dallas used to say, we all have a desire to be good. We also have a desire to look good. Mm. We all have a desire to be right we also have a desire to be thought right. Mm. And he said, when your desire to be good comes in conflict with your desire to look good, that's when you're really tested. When your desire to actually be right, it comes in conflict with your desire to look or appear right to others, Mm. that's when you're really tested. And this is a classic point. You know, we have to ask, and you reach these moments, I reached these moments where we had to say, 
do I want to be right about hell and heaven or do I just want to look right to my Christian friends? Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and this really takes courage. It takes, it, it can be absolutely terrifying. It's a huge part of what I was writing about in this upcoming book on, on faith after doubt. It, it, it is a test of our character. Yeah. I remember even just going back a couple of years ago and you and I, uh, I got connected with you a little bit on Twitter because I was wrestling with these things and I had this flood of questions coming in my mind that were going against everything I'd ever been taught. I didn't know what to do with these things. And so I remember I tweeted you, I'm like, I, I've read some of Brian's books and I'm sh- maybe he'll answer me. I don't know. So I sent you a couple of tweets and you were kind enough to respond. But I think, you know, those are, those are just huge moments. Like you said, you read C.S. Lewis's book. Um, I had gone back and read Rob Bell's book. So I think for our listeners, like it's important to allow yourself to engage those questions, engage those doubts. So obviously that's why books have been important to you and me. But when I said earlier, this is why a podcast like this is important because Mm -hmm. at this moment, somebody is sitting in a car and, and, and they're, they're alone in the car and they're able, because of your podcast, they're able to have a, a certain sense they can listen in on a conversation yeah, and they can right. think thoughts that if they were to say these out loud, you know, when they get back home uh, or at church, they would be, you know, punished in some, yeah. one way or another. Right. And so this becomes really, really important. It's why when Martin Luther, you know, made use of the printing press, those books created sort of the mental uh, secret place that you could hide in that book and think thoughts that, that, it was scary and impermissible. Even you could receive the death penalty in some mm. cases, right? For, yep. for yep. even voicing certain ideas. And, and so uh, sadly, uh, you know, there are a lot of congregations that if you raise a question, you're out, you know? Yep. Yep. So, the, but this needs to be raised. And can I just give you one other reason yes, why I think please. this is so important? Please do. Um, uh, I think one of the most pivotal existential threats that we face in, in our world today is the way we're living with the earth. And, and, and one obvious expression of it is climate change. Well, it, look, if this, this world is just the place to sort souls out to go to heaven or hell, uh, and God's going to destroy it all soon anyway, who cares about climate change, right? Yeah. And, and, and the whole heaven hell approach so devalues the earth and devalues history and devalues justice and devalues the environment and devalues issues like racism and, and economic injustice and, and so on. All of those issues are made so secondary by this absolute possibility of eternal conscious punishment by the creator of the universe, the most powerful being in the universe, uh, it, it just makes everything else trivial. And uh, you know what? That's great for preachers. It gives preachers a whole lot of power. But I've come to believe it is an existential threat to life on earth because if we can't mobilize significant part of the human race to to start a, a addressing how we're living with the earth, not to mention how we're living with each other, then our children and grandchildren have a really, really horrible future to wake up to. And the world's largest religion, the Christian religion, will have played a destructive role in bringing us to that place. So that's why these issues are, they're biblical, they're theological, they're actually quite interesting, but they're also moral and ethical and existential. That's a, that's a good segue into uh, another, another point I wanted to ask you about. Uh, one of your books uh, you have is called A New Kind of Christianity. 
and in the in there you have a chapter called uh, can we find a better way of viewing the future so yes. maybe take us a little bit deeper into that like is there a better way of viewing the future like when when hell is not a thing and, and if so and i'm obviously there is but what might that future look like? Because for a lot of us, like that narrative of believe in Jesus or go to hell is so ingrained in our brains. Like it's next to impossible to think about what the narrative could possibly be without that in there, because that is like the main narrative for so many people. Yes. So maybe yes. take us a little bit deeper into that. Okay. So I'd like to do that, but Glenn, I wonder first if I could just say, um, I'm not just saying throw out hell. I'm saying properly understand its function in the biblical text, especially mm. properly understand how it works in Jesus' teaching. And, mm. and I think the purpose of hell is to tell us how we live has consequences. And I think that is really, really important. Mm. Um, I'm not saying, oh, there's no hell. It doesn't matter how you live or what you do. Yeah. I'm saying the very opposite. And, and I think that was Jesus' purpose in hell too. Yeah. I think Jesus is saying, look, if you don't pay attention to how you live, uh, a broad road, by the way, that, for that quote in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus doesn't say there's a broad road that leads to hell and a narrow road that leads to heaven. He said there's a broad road that leads to destruction yeah. and a narrow road that leads to life, or mm. we might say survival. And when you face, for example, we live in a world of nuclear weapons. Uh, guess what? It's a broad road. It's very easy to go down the road that leads to nuclear self-destruction. It's a broad road that leads to racial civil war. It's a broad road that leads to having so many weapons in so many people's hands that the world becomes, you know, just a total chaos. It's a broad road that leads to environmental destruction when you're, uh, you know, when you're freshwater resources are gone and when your salt water is so polluted that the fish are all exploited and when the soils are, are, are robbed of their nutrients and when famine spreads, it's a broad road. It's easy to destroy life, uh, but it's an error. So I think that that's the real message. But to get back to your main question, um, if I can get a little bit philosophical with you for a minute, please. Um, a, and an assumption or an implication of the view of heaven and hell that you and I were taught is that God has already filmed all of history. If I can use this metaphor, mm -hmm. it's already filmed. The film is already in the can, so to speak. Um, and it's just happens to be playing right now, but yeah. the end of the story is already written. The whole thing is predetermined. So in philosophy, this is called a deterministic universe. And Again, this is primarily a, a view of, in Catholicism, it, it's associated with Augustine, and in Protestantism, it's associated with John Calvin. But this Augustinian Calvinistic view emphasizes God's determination of all things, and that everything that happens, God is making happen or allowing happen, but because God's allowing it to happen, it's God's will. It's all the same thing, right? So, so um or it's, let's say, the distinction is not very significant. And I think we could fine-tune, we could have all kinds of arguments about our eschatology, but still stay within a deterministic worldview. Mm. I think we would be smart to ask the question, is the universe determined? Mm. Did God want to make the kind of universe where the future is already determined and we have, we're just... We're, we're not even actors. We are cartoons because we couldn't do anything unless 
you know, the artist drew the, made the lines move, right? Um, are, are we just paper characters um, in, in a story that God is, is telling? Or is this universe actually a real creation where things are actually happening and where we actually have responsibility and freedom? Mm. Now, that to me, uh, here's the truth. I, 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 I don't want to oversimplify this. You can find Bible verses that sound deterministic, and you can bi find Bible verses that sound like freedom and responsibility are real. Mm. They're both there. And um, so, you know, if you can quote a Bible verse to prove your point, you haven't really proven anything because you can find a Bible verse to prove the opposite. Anything, point right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so I'd like to propose that the universe we live in is real. Mm. And that means that the future is not only not known and not determined, it doesn't yet exist. Mm. If that's the case, then what that would mean is that however we see God as being alive and active in the world, we see ourselves as being partners with God. We find that language in the Bible. Paul speaks of us being co-laborers mm. with, with Christ, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is active in the world, and we join in that activity. Well, if that's the case, then our lives really matter. Our decisions really matter. It doesn't make Jesus and the gospel and the Bible and the church less important. It makes them more important. Hmm. And because we have to be agents of helping people assume their proper responsibility and live the way that, that we should live. Otherwise, the future is, is made darker by our lives and our, our actions. Th does that make sense? It does make sense. I think you, I think you make a really good point that just because we, we challenge um, like the doctrine of hell doesn't mean that we throw hell out altogether. And so yes. maybe would it be fair to say then that if the Bible, if the narrative of the Bible is calling us to be a co-creator with God, if the future is unknown and doesn't exist yet, that as co-creators with God, then we can either by our words and our actions, we can either create heaven on earth or we can create hell. So let's say that we don't follow the teaching of Jesus. Yeah. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we don't put the interests of others. We don't seek the common good. Hmm. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to buy more and more guns and build more and more weapons. And anybody who gets in our way will kill them. And you know what? We will create a truly hellish world. Let's say that we don't follow uh, biblical wisdom and common sense about caring for our, the earth, our home. Let's say we don't do that. Well, we're going to heat up the climate. We're going to, you know, kill all the seas. We're going to, I mean, the, the kind of world we create is a pretty stinking hellish world. Yeah. And so, so um, and, and to me, if you want a biblical example of this, look at the book of Jonah. Hmm. See, I, I think what we have in the prophets, I don't think they're actually foretelling. I don't think they're fortune tellers. I think what the prophets are is they're, they, they're people who give us warning and promise. They give yeah. us warning and hope. Hmm. And they paint pictures to say, if you don't do the right thing, here's what your life is going to look like. Here's what the world is going to look like. That's the warning. Yeah. But the hope is if you change your ways, you could have a much better future. So what yeah. happens in Jonah? Jonah goes to the people of Nineveh. I, I mean, so it's such a shame that the whale gets all the attention or the sea monster <laughs> right. gets all the attention. Because <laughs> the real point of the book of Jonah is Jonah goes and tells the people, God is going to destroy you. 
And guess what? God does not destroy them because they repent. Mm. Um, and and the, the political irony of this is they were Jonah's enemies. He wanted God to destroy them. <laughs> mm, yeah. What Jonah is so upset about mm. is that God is actually merciful to people who repent. So mm. here's the irony. The purpose of proclaiming the destruction of Nineveh was so that it would not happen. Mm. And I think if we can just be, you know, oh. that doesn't take a brain, a rocket scientist to figure out. Sure. In fact, in that way, I would say the biblical genre of prophecy is a lot more like our contemporary genre of science fiction. Mm. So if you look, remember the original uh, Planet of the Apes? Yeah, yeah. And then you, you come to that moment where you see the Statue of Liberty sticking out of the sand and you realize, oh crap, that's the earth. Mm. Now, was Planet of the Apes predicting that someday apes are going to replace humans? Of course not, it wasn't <laughs> a prediction. It was a warning that if we don't learn how to face our problems, we'll destroy each other. If we don't learn yeah. how to get along racially, there's mm. a relevant message yeah. um, that, that we will destroy ourselves. And, and when I look at prophecy in that way, it's, it's life-giving and it's motivating and it's powerful and incredibly relevant. And less, but when I look at when the way Christians typically read prophecy, and treating the future as if it's, it's determined, I think it's deeply, deeply destructive. Yeah. Now you talk about the the broad road leading to destruction. And uh, I was talking to a friend yesterday, and just for our listeners, Brian and I are recording this in in June after all the things that happened with George Floyd, and we have all the protests and the riots and stuff. And I was talking to a friend, and we were just talking about how we're feeling about everything. And I said to him something along the lines of, you know, Jesus has that line in, in the in the Gospels where he talks about the broad road leading to destruction. And I was always taught that, you know, growing up that that meant, you know, you live like the world and you're going to be destroyed. You're going to go to hell. I said, but really, it feels like the, the, the country in this time is on this broad road where everybody's fighting. We have all this stuff going on with racism. We have all these things that um, I would say white America doesn't want to deal with. And as a result, we are on this road to, we are destroying each other. And like the words of Jesus, it feels like are coming to a very stark reality in this moment. And it's, I'm just seeing it in an entirely different light, given the situation going on in our world. I, I, I can't say it any better than you just said it, whether it's about race, whether it's about the environment, whether it's about the accumulation of wealth in the hands of a yeah. tiny minority and the accumulation, it's not just wealth, it's power. We don't have to do anything. All yeah. we have to do is just coast along in the road we're on. We are, we are doing, it will take no work at all to destroy ourselves. Yeah. No work at all. Hmm. Uh, it, but you know what? To find a path out of the mess that, we, that has been created, we didn't create it all. You know, right. this yeah. racial problems, you and I didn't create it. Yeah. Our ancestors created it. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and they didn't create it all at once. It took generations and generations, little by little, of thousands of irresponsible acts hmm. uh, and thousands of times when people had a doubt and they wouldn't face it because they, they people would think would criticize them. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we just go with the flow and, and we're heading over the waterfall. So, so this is, yeah, that's, that's exactly the point. And, and that's what I see the Bible doing for us. Now people will hear me say that and they'll say, well, what about all those 
songs that were all about heaven and all the rest. Listen, mm. I am not afraid of God. I, 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 in a sense that, you know, I know God, God is love. I, I know God loves me. I know God loves us all. So, you know, for me to die and fall into the mystery of after this life, I'm not afraid of that. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm, I'm willing. I have been willing at times in my life to put my life on the line for what I believe. Mm. And it's because I'm, I'm not afraid. Yeah. Um, so I do believe that the gospel gives us confidence to not have to fear death. Absolutely. Mm. I believe that, mm. but I don't think that that's the same as buying into a deterministic in other words, it's a promise rather than a prediction. Right. It's, not a, it's not that God has given us the insider trading information so that mm-hmm. we can make a lot of money on the stock market. No, mm-hmm. it's that God is, that we've got, gotten a sense of God's character. And yeah. if we trust God in that way, then we, we can live. Yeah, that's so good. So in light of all of that, Brian, and I'm going to close with this question, if you could talk to us a little bit about... Um, all of those things in light of John three sixteen, uh, oh, for God. So yeah. I know and that's a big question. Um, so yeah. if you, I know you probably, I, I know you've written on it a little bit as well, but for our listeners, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. He was one and only son that ever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now the assumption growing up for me was perish meant hell, eternal life meant heaven and believe in a son means you got to believe the right thing. And so yeah. in light of everything we just talked about with this different kind of narrative, instead of focusing on, what happens after death? It's what happens before death, you know, creating heaven and hell on earth. Like how does that verse fit into that narrative? Okay. Uh, so first we'd have to place this in the gospel of John, which is so yeah. different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, and, and a whole lot we could say about that. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, and this is coming after Nicodemus, who's a Jew and is a, a Pharisee. Yeah. And so is seen as the elite, you know, religious guy. Jesus has just told him, you think you're so smart you've got to become like a little baby and just start all over again. You think you, your system has given you clear knowledge. No, you don't have it as right as you think. You've Mm -hmm. got to be willing to learn again. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So Jesus says then for God loved the world. Well, guess what? To people like Nicodemus, no, God loves people of our religion. Mm -hmm. God loves people of our nation and our religion. And, and what a whole lot of people think today is it says, for God loved the Christian religion so much. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. God loves the world. Whatever is happening in this passage is rooted not in God's love for one religion and hatred for everybody else, but it's rooted in God's love for the world. That he sent um, his only son. And by the way, only means unique. Mm. Um, his uniquely born son, this unique uh, uh, man uh, Jesus, um, so that whoever would believe, well, believe doesn't, it doesn't say whoever would have, uh, you know, hold the apostles creed about him, whoever would hold, uh, the five fundamentals of fundamentalism about him. No, whoever would believe in him, who would have confidence in him, who would trust him. Well, if you look at all the gospels, including the gospel of John, the, the invitation again and again is to believe and what believe means is trust enough to follow. Mm. Um, if, if you trust me, Jesus says later, keep my commands, follow my commands, follow my teaching. So it, um, God so loved the world that he sent this unique gift to the world, Jesus, mm. um, that uh, if any person would have confidence in Jesus, uh, 
he won't be part of this self-destructive process we just talked about. The word perish mm. means die. Yeah. He won't experience this self-destructive process. Now, here's where it gets interesting. But we'll have, and the word, the way we translate this in English is eternal life. The Greek phrase, of course, Jesus originally said it in Aramaic, and we don't know what words he used in Aramaic, but the Greek phrase that John uses is eternal life. Greek, uh, zoen aeonian, zoen, zoology, hmm. aeonian, eon. Um, and I think the best translation is life of the ages. Hmm. Uh, now, what does life of the ages mean? Well, we get a clue in the book of Galatians where Paul says that God has saved us from this present evil age. Yeah. So what is life of the ages? It's a life that isn't limited by the assumptions and norms and behaviors and values of this present evil age. It's, it's the transcendent life, life on a higher plane. What Jesus calls later, life abundant or life to the full. Now, I, what I just said is not what a lot of us heard, but I, I would challenge anybody to try to consistently read the New Testament in that light. Uh, and I'll just tell you, I've been, uh, I grew up the traditional way and it stopped making sense. It stopped working. And as I've been reading the Bible for the last, what is it now? 25 years. It, I'll just tell you, this makes a whole lot more sense. It really does. In my, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you start to read the words of Jesus through that lens of the here and now, instead of the later on after death. I think a lot of different things come to light that weren't, I didn't see before. In fact, the very next verse, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. By the way, condemn doesn't necessarily mean send the world to hell. Condemn means just say you're guilty. Condemn means say you're guilty. God didn't send his son into the world just to make the world feel guilty, but so that the world could be saved. And here's where life gets interesting because we've defined saved based on our heaven and hell assumptions. Yeah. Again, that don't come from the Hebrew scriptures. I don't even think they come from the New Testament. I really think they come from the, the church around the time of Augustine, when his mm-hmm. idea of original sin took hold, an idea that no Jew believes and that no, you know, you, you don't find in the Apostles' Creed and so on. Um, but uh, uh, I think the, the, that word uh, salvation uh, uh, has, does not mean will be, you know, relieved from the consequences of original sin. I think what it means is liberation. The word yeah. salvation gets its definition right. from the book of Exodus in the Bible. Hmm. Salvation didn't mean save the Jewish people from hell. It meant save the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. Right. To save means to liberate. God didn't send a son in the world to tell the world how guilty it is but to offer the world liberation. And that's what will happen today. If we were to follow Jesus, we would be liberated from racism. We would be liberated from greed. We would be liberated from destroying our one and only planet. Everything we need will come from, from, from trusting Jesus, having enough confidence in him to follow him. That's right. Well, Brian, well, I could talk to you all day, uh, but we are just about out of time and I want to be respectful of your time, but thank you so much for taking the time to join me and uh, talk to me about this touchy, but very important topic. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having the courage to engage it. And for everybody who listened, I can imagine this can be really, really disturbing um, because I remember how disturbed I felt, but uh, 
I, I hope people will feel the spirit guiding them to not be afraid. For sure. Maybe we'll have a part two conversation because I have more questions for you. <laughs> I'd like that. I'd be happy to. We'll All talk right, Brian. Again. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. special about you and me, babe. You got me, you got me, you got me feeling fine. So just say the words cause you know what it means to me, babe. When you got me, you got me, you got me feeling right. Your eyes, your eyes hypnotize me, Something so special about you and me, babe You got me, you got me, you got me